Under the Hood, episode number four from the city of brotherly love. I'm your host, Michael Carey, and as always, I hope you are all staying well and staying healthy. I don't know about you all, but I've been seeing more and more people posting their workouts uh, from home, which is a great thing, but I think for now, I'll stick to my Netflix and my McDonald's from Uber Eats. Another week has flown past us with this quarantine, and the Pro Invitational Series at Richmond put on a phenomenal show bringing in nearly a million viewers. And that gold rush scheme, courtesy of Rusty Walrus on Twitter, was a looker on William Byron's car. Did you know that NASCAR on iRacing actually now has the four highest esports events ratings ever on TV in the United States? That's that courtesy of SBJ and Adam Stern. So the past few days, there's been some gleams of hope for NASCAR returning to the racetrack. Texas, Homestead, and Charlotte are all pursuing plans to try and bring NASCAR to them, and Charlotte seems to be the most promising. A letter has been sent to the governor of North Carolina trying to make the race shop workers essential so they can build the cars in time for the May 24th Coca-Cola 600. Now, this is going to be a major storyline to keep an eye on, and I, for one, am very eager to get back to the racetrack. Now, for those of you who don't know, I graduated from Temple University with a degree in journalism, mostly uh specifically in broadcasting and that's where I want to be you know one day I want to be reporting on NASCAR for either radio or TV I'm scouting all the waters possible looking to make this happen I'm supposed to move to Charlotte actually very soon but unfortunately due to coronavirus and the whole pandemic that move is on hold however while my current plans are currently on hold, today's guest is already living out that dream. And that dream has taken him to some of the biggest spectacles in racing, and it's all staying in the family. Half back, 40 cars, one and a half off to 12. Are you guys behind her? A gap of a half. Just a stone's throw away from the city of Indianapolis and just a short drive from the brickyard sits the town of Carmel, Indiana. Now, the town is populated by just under 100,000 people, and it serves as the hometown for today's guest. He's been surrounded by race cars since he was a child, and if you've seen a NASCAR Xfinity Series broadcast or even a ARCA or a K&N race, or you even tune into the races on the Motor Racing Network, you've definitely heard his voice and you know his name. Or if you've even seen the Chili Bowl or your local short tracks across Indiana, he's popped up there many times too. His father currently serves as a reporter and play-by-play for NASCAR on Fox. The pride of Ball State University, Mr. Dylan Welch, joins us on Under the Hood today. Dylan, it's a pleasure to have you joining the show today. Thanks, Michael. I appreciate it. Uh, Looking forward to chatting with you here. First and foremost, how are you doing down in North Carolina with this ongoing pandemic? Yeah, as good as can be, I guess. You know, it's uh, it's obviously a weird situation for everybody, but um we're we're hanging in there ready to ready to get back to the racetrack but uh we've had some nice nice uh bonding time at home for sure and 
Um, and uh, it's, that's been enjoyable, but uh, I think we're all, you know, I think I speak for everybody in the industry. I think we're all kind of ready to, to get back to uh, the new normal and, and get back to a racetrack. Now, are you being uh, productive in any way with working with MRA? And are you iRacing at all? I know how are you passing the time? Yeah, I, I have been iRacing a little bit. Um, I, I've raced a, a few races and I've announced a few uh, USAC races as well here over the last couple of weeks. But uh, I haven't raced a ton. I, I raced in a media members only event uh, earlier this week and uh, in, in essence caused a massive crash, caused the big one at the end of this race uh, battling for the lead. So my, <laughs> my eye racing has, uh, has, uh, been a little bit shaky here over the last couple of weeks, but, um, but yeah, so, you know, finding, finding things to, to do, you know, and, and as you know, you know, we just moved into a new house here at the, the start of April. And, um, so that's been uh, a project, you know, every, every day, it seems like we're kind of finding new and different things to tinker on and organize. And, uh, Hannah, my girlfriend's been busy doing all kinds of odds and ends crafts projects. So I've been helping her out, uh, out there, you know, if I can, so we're finding stuff to do and, uh, you know, passing the time as best we can. Well, I'm glad you guys are staying safe. So let's start back at the beginning for you, Dylan, you've been involved with racing since a very young age, but tell me about what led you into getting behind a race car for the first time. Yeah, it's kind of a funny story. I, uh, and my parents tell it, you know, obviously, but they, they say when I was, when I was little, you know, a lot of kids have, you know, Hot Wheels and Matchbox cars. And when I was little, I would, I would take all my Hot Wheels cars and my Matchbox cars and line them up on the couch and have them lined up a certain way. And if anybody came over and tried to move them, I would scream and holler and throw a fit. Uh, cause <laughs> I didn't want you to touch my cars and, uh, they would, you know, put, you know, little toy basketballs or footballs or whatever in my crib. And I would throw those out and I would just want my cars. So from a really, really young age, for whatever reason, you know, I kind of had the bug. My dad, you know, as I, as I got older, you know, my dad was, was kind of trying to get me involved in, you know, some stick and ball sports and I would do it, but just wasn't, you know, wasn't interested one and, and wasn't good second. Uh, so kind of through his, his connections, he was working with the IndyCar series at that time uh, on ABC and he was, uh, sitting at a racetrack and, and started chatting with Billy boat, who was one of the drivers at the time. And, you know, told him basically that, you know, his son was, you know, obsessed with racing and cars. And, and Billy said, well, why don't you get him, get him a quarter midget? We're selling one of ours. You know, why don't you buy it? So my dad bought it. And, uh, you know, then told my mom later, of course, you know, that he bought this quarter midget. Uh, and so that's kind of how it started. You know, I, it was, it was one of those things. I don't think I ever really even outright said, uh, Hey, I want to race. You know, it was just something that my dad was kind of, you know, in tune with that knew that, you know, it'd probably be something fun for him and I to do and, you know, as us as a family to do. And, um, so he got that, got that quarter midget the summer I was, uh, seven years old and, uh, the rest was history, as they say. How long was your racing career at, at a young age before you decided to head over to Ball State for digital sports? Yeah, I was uh, – so I started racing quarter midgets when I was seven and, and, uh, and really raced, you know, pretty much full-time all the way through high school. And then, uh, you know, about the time I, I was getting ready to go to Ball State, I just – I really kind of had to sit down with myself and, and, and realize, hey, like I'm kind of at a point where – uh, racing obviously is expensive. I'm getting ready to go to college. You know, 
I'm trying not to run my parents into the ground here. Uh, maybe I should try to cut back on racing a little bit because obviously my dream had always been to, you know, be a professional race car driver, but uh, just hadn't had the results or the success at that point. You know, I was 18 and, uh, you know, sadly in this day and age, if you're not making noise by the time you're 18, your, your window is pretty much closing. So I just kind of made the decision ultimately on my own that, you know, I'm going to go to school. I'm going to try to, you know, focus on broadcasting. I'd done broadcasting stuff in high school. And I was like, Hey, you know, if I, if I can't race next best thing is, is going to be to be able to be a broadcaster and still be at the racetrack. So, uh, I really kind of cut back my racing, uh, the summer before I was a freshman at ball state, um, you know, and went from racing 25 or 30 times a year to racing maybe five times a year. So, uh, that was kind of a decision I made on my own. And, um, and, and, and looking back, I'm, I think it was the right decision for sure, because, um, you know, it, it's led me to so many other opportunities that have been so much more beneficial for me than I think would have been if I had tried to stick it out as a full-time driver. And, uh, it's kind of worked itself out to where I, I can do both now, you know, I can, I can work and I still have opportunities to race, uh, you know, here and there. So, um, it's, it really has, has worked out well. Now, did you dominantly do midget racing? as you were growing up or did you dive into late models or anything like no, that? No, I've only, I've only ever raced midgets. So, uh, I ran quarter midgets and then, and then basically transitioned to, uh, pavement midgets. And then those went away. Uh, and then I started ra racing dirt midgets. So I, I've never even driven a sprint car or, a, you know, anything with fenders or anything. Uh, it's always just been midgets for me. So, and, and at this point, you know, it, I've had people ask me, you know, do you want to run other things? I was like, yeah, sure. I'd like to, but, uh, you know, maybe just to test it or something, you know, I think I'm, I'm pretty comfortable on the midget. And at this point in my career, there's no sense really in, in trying to transition to anything else. So, uh, the midgets has kind of been where I've, I've made my, made my, uh, my stay and, um, it's been fun. Just for those who are unfamiliar, can you tell me briefly, you know, the difference between a quarter midget and a regular midget? Is it just size? Yes, and power? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it, it's exactly what the name implies. It's the it's a quarter of, of the size of a real midget. So uh, a full midget is, is 900 to 950 pounds. Uh, open wheel car uh, has a 400 ish horsepower motor, four cylinder uh, and quarter midgets are basically uh, they weigh probably 150 pounds with the motor in them. And they've just got little, you know, two, three horsepower Honda, basically lawnmower engines in them. So um, a lot of, you know, drivers that we see uh, racing on Sundays now, you know, got their start in quarter midgets and uh, just kind of an alternative, you know, to go-karts or, or whatever. And uh, we had a great little racetrack at the, the Indiana State Fairgrounds uh, just down the road there from my house that, um, that I grew up racing at. And um, great memories, you know, it was so much fun to get to run those. And um, it's kind of just, the natural progression or, you know, the natural first rung on the ladder to, uh, you know, to racing midgets and sprint cars. So that's what we chose to start in. Let's move on to entering college. You graduated with a degree in digital sports production. Now, why did you go that route and why did you choose Ball State? Yeah, there, there really was never even uh, a second thought for me that, that Ball State would be the place I wanted to go. Both my parents went there. Uh, both of my aunts went there. Uh, one of my uncles went there. I think maybe two of my uncles went there. So it's, uh, it's been, uh, you know, kind of my family school, everybody, you know, seems like everybody's gone there and, uh, close to my house. And, and a big part of it, you know, for me was the location. It was close enough to home that, uh, you know, I could still travel on the weekends and go race and not really miss that much school. 
so that, that was a big draw, but the other big draw was just the fact that it is such a great school for, for broadcasting. They've got a, uh, a phenomenal program there called SportsLink, which uh, is basically a, an entirely student-run production company. So um, they produce live sporting events uh, for the university. They produce uh, feature-length uh, you know, stories on athletes. They produce monthly, you know, monthly or weekly shows. Uh, and it's, it's all entirely student run. They've got a state of the art, you know, control room and, and editing software and, and, you know, the whole, the whole shebang. So, uh, that was a huge draw for me was, was being able to one, be close to home and still be able to race, but two, uh, have one of the best schools for communications in the country, basically, you know, 45 minutes up the road. So, uh, I never even applied anywhere else. You know, it was always, I always had kind of had my mind made up that it was ball state. I was familiar with that campus. My dad had, uh, broadcast basketball games there for 20 years. Uh, so I, you know, been to the campus, you know, tons of times and was familiar with it. Um, and it just, it made sense. So, um, I, I love, love that campus, love that school. And, and, uh, you know, as you know, Michael, I'm sure, you know, made, made lifelong friends and memories there in, in college and, uh, I look back on that time with a lot of fondness. Now, was it your dad that sort of, uh, I guess, his career and his beginnings kind of move you towards the broadcasting? Yeah, route? and and I, I think it was that was just kind of natural. You know, the rate it's kind of interesting because he was never uh, he was never really a race fan growing up. I shouldn't say that. You know, he grew up on the west side of Indianapolis, and so he went to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway a ton as a kid, went to, you know, practice days and qualifying. And, uh, you know, as a west sider, it's, it's sort of uh, ingrained in you that you're, you're a race fan. So he was a fan of the sport, but he was always a much more uh, fan of, of stick and ball sports, of basketball, football, and baseball. And uh, that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to be a, you know, a basketball broadcaster, you know, through it's, it's fun. So it's funny how now he is in racing. And, and that was always my passion as a young kid. And we, you know, because of what he did, um, you know, I was always just exposed to it. And, you know, he had a, a few different jobs as I was growing up that, you know, kind of allowed me to see a bunch of different aspects of that side or, you know, of that business, you know, both radio and TV and, you know, sports reporting and, you know, news reporting and, you know, all that. I was exposed to a lot of that growing up. So it made an impression on me. And, and, um, it's funny, you know, when I was a kid, me and a buddy of mine used to play racing video games and we would announce the games while we were playing. Like we were, you know, we were the announcers. We would announce it while we were playing and it didn't really think anything of it. It was just kind of something we did for fun. So I always kind of had this attraction to it. And I, and I guess that's, that's in part to him just because I was exposed to it, but he, you know, he never really, you know, never pushed me to, to be a broadcaster or anything like that. It was just always something that uh, I was interested in and, and felt like I was, I was decent enough at to, um, you know, try and make it a career. It's kind of funny. You mentioned that, you used to call the races as a kid because I would actually do the exact same thing by myself. When I'd play my games. Yeah. And it's, uh, it was again, one of those things where it was like, we didn't even think anything of it. It was just something that we started doing. And it, it was, it's kind of a funny story too. And I told this story uh, a few years ago, but when I had my audition for MRN, um, we were in Michigan and it, it was kind of rainy. So I was going to do my audition in the turn uh, during one of the Xfinity series practice sessions. And 
it was basically sprinkling. So there was no cars on the track, but we had to do this audition somehow. So I was in the turn and there was like two cars on the racetrack and they were at opposite ends of the track. And we just made up a race basically between these two cars. And that was my audition. But I seriously feel like that experience of me announcing those races as a kid helped me in that audition, just like kind of making stuff up as you go and, and thinking on the fly and, uh, you know, improvising, you know, based on what you see. I really feel like that helped me, you know, nail this audition. So it was funny how that all kind of came full circle. But um, and I, you know, every once in a while, I still do that just for fun. It's uh, I, I enjoy it. And uh, it's funny how you know, something as, as juvenile as that has actually uh, kind of paid dividends down the road. Let's move over now. You graduate Ball State. Now it's time to move to North Carolina. How did you connect with MRN to start working from them? And what was that move like for you going from, you know, an area you're very familiar with to a whole yeah it was hard it was uh you know I, I actually had just um gotten an email from somebody at mrn or you know had had been in touch with them and uh, was working for the united states auto club at the time as their pa announcer kind of traveling uh announcing you know dirt sprint car and midget races and uh we filmed all of our races and and put them on a website of our own and so i just put a quick little reel together and, and sent a tape to the guy i'd been in touch with and uh, scheduled the audition and, you know, then weeks or, you know, a couple of weeks or so later, they had put me on a race. So, uh, it was a, it was a really quick process. And, um, I, I actually didn't move. So that was the summer before my senior year of college. So I didn't actually move to North Carolina until almost a year after I graduated college. And, uh, it was hard because, you know, like I, like I was saying, Ball State was still close enough to home to where it felt like I was, I was not living at home, but I was also close enough that, you know, it didn't feel like I was living on my own. So when I moved down here, that was really the first time I was completely, you know, on my own. And, and I had some great people to, uh, you know, kind of help guide me along those first few months that, you know, that I lived with and, and kind of took me into their home and, and made me feel welcome and, uh, eased that process, but it was tough. And, um, you know, when I, when I moved down here, I was, I was really only just doing MRN and then some editing at NASCAR productions on the side, but, um, you know, wasn't traveling and didn't have any friends. And so I was, I was pretty much just keeping to myself. So, and, and that's hard for anybody, obviously, just cause it's, you know, you get lonely and you get bored and, you know, you're like, man, is, you know, was this the right choice moving down here and kind of risking it all to do that. But, um, like anything, it's, it just something's that takes time. And I got a couple of breaks that summer that led me to a couple other opportunities. And then by the next year, which would, would have been 2018, you know, we were kind of off and running. So, uh, it's hard. I mean, it's, it's hard to uproot yourself and, and come down here and, and just bank on yourself to make it. Um, but you know, it's, it's a lot like being a, being a driver, you know, that's, you know, for this industry, this is kind of the place that, you want need to be if, if you're going to get the opportunities and get the breaks and uh, it's scary, but uh, it's been so worth it. And I've met so many great people down here that 
um, it's it's been so enjoyable to be down here. And I can't believe I've already been down here four years. Tell me about the the NBC side of things because you do report for NBC for a handful of races per year. How did that opportunity? Yeah, come and about? that was actually kind of what I was alluding to there with, with a couple of breaks I got there in, in my first summer down here. Uh, my boss at NASCAR Productions, his name's uh, Keith Delisandro, uh, has been great to me. He's been he's been a mentor. He's been a friend. He's been my part time agent. You know, unofficially, he's, he's just been a huge, huge uh, help for me. And he is the one that's in charge of basically putting the crews together for the what was in the NASCAR K&N series and ARCA races that aired on Fox and NBCSN. There was a race in Sonoma in California that he needed a, a pit reporter for. And he and I had talked before I moved down there. He's like, hey, I've got this editing job for you. I know you want to do talent. You can get a job and move down here stuff's going to come up. So I, I took, his, took him at his word, moved down here as an editor. He promised that he was going to find some on-air work for me. And in like June of that year, he had this K&N race for me. He said, hey, I'm sending you to Sonoma. You're going to be a pit reporter for this K&N race. It's going to air on NBCSN, you know, tape delayed. So he called me on like Tuesday. And on Thursday, I was on a plane. So uh, it happened as quick as that. And I did that and then did one more race before the end of the year was up. And then the next summer, because it was on an NBC, you know, it was an NBC show, uh, you know, the, the, the higher ups at NBC had noticed and uh, took a chance on me. And, and I started doing uh, just some practice show coverage and, you know, qualifying and then started to do some races. And then that parlayed into, you know, a contract. So uh, and, and it's it happened so fast and, and so uh, not easy, but just, you know, it, it seemed like it was just like, boom, I was going from doing Canaan races to doing Xfinity and, and cup races. So it's kind of crazy to me to look back on that. But, you know, I tell people this all the time. I just, I was so fortunate because I had people believe in me from the start. I had people believe in my ability, believe that if they gave me a shot, I wasn't going to let them down. Then it was up to me obviously to deliver and, and to not let them down. And, I just kept getting opportunities and I've always tried to just take advantage of whatever, whatever opportunities I get, whether that's, you know, getting to drive a, a good fast race car or, or, you know, getting to broadcast, a, you know, getting to broadcast a race. I've always just tried to go in there and do the best I can. And if something comes from it, then great. Um, and I feel like that's really, you know, what's happened for me. I, I've, I've just been blessed with, uh, some people who have, who have put their faith in me and, um, I guess so far, I haven't let him down. Is there any particular moment between, I would say, I would say one of each between MRN and NBC? Give me a moment of each that is the most memorable or the most that you're proud of. Oh, man, that's, that is tough. Um, I, on the, the NBC side first, you know, I, I've been pretty proud that, I've gotten to do, you know, quite a bit of different stuff already, just really in my second year of working for them. You know, I, I'm, I'm fortunate that NBC, you know, they don't keep you on just one series, you know, they, they kind of pick and choose and place you where they need you. So I've gotten to do IMSA races. I've gotten to do uh, Indy car races. I've gotten to do NASCAR races. There was a weekend last year where I was at an Xfinity race at Iowa on Saturday and was in the pits and did victory lane, uh, you know, did the victory lane interview and then went to the hotel, slept, got up the next morning at the crack of dawn and flew to mid Ohio for an IndyCar race. 
and did the IndyCar race in the pits, having not been there all weekend, and did Victory Lane there too. So in two days, I was in Victory Lane in two different series on Big NBC at that time. Both those races were on, were on national, you know, Big NBC. Uh, and I, I left mid-Ohio that day and was driving to the airport, and it just kind of hit me. I was like, man, like, I'm, you know, I was 25 years old at the time. Like, I'm 25 years old, and I just did, you know, Victory Lane in two national racing series on national television. Like, if you told me that five years ago, I wouldn't have believed you. So it, it was just, it was crazy to me. It was super, it was a super humbling moment and, and just made me really appreciate, you know, the opportunities that I've, I've gotten. And, um, you know, it can be gone just as quickly as, as the rise. So uh, you got to always, got to always appreciate it and, and, you know, be, be appreciative of the opportunities you get. And, and that was a moment that was, that was really cool for me. Um, on the MRN side of things, um, you know, it's always cool for me just to, to be at big events. You know, I've gotten to do a couple Daytona 500s now. I got to work uh, championship weekend last year at Homestead. Um, and and those, those kind of events for me, those, those big events where you're down there on the grid right before the race starts and, you know, the, the crowd's buzzing and, you know, it's got that, that energy, that feeling, um, and you're right there in the heart of it you know, that's, that's cool for me. You know, I always enjoy that. And, um, I've gotten to do a, you know, go to a lot of really cool places with MRN and, you know, I've traveled a little bit more with them than I have with NBC, but, um, I don't know if there's one specific race or weekend for me that jumps out, but, um, I love working with MRN, you know, love the crew and, and the group of guys that we get to work with every weekend. So that's a lot of fun. How do you balance the MRN schedule and the NBC? Yeah, schedule? It's tough. And, and I'm, I'm again, thankful that, uh, they kind of work together and, and coexide peacefully um, because it is tough, you know, there, there, and there's even weekends where I double dip, you know, where I'll maybe do, do a truck race for MRN on Friday night and then do the Xfinity race on Saturday for NBC. So, um, you know, it, it's tough and, and, and MRN understand, MRN understands, you know, it's, it's uh, I think, I don't want to speak for everybody, but I think the goal for, you know, for most of us as broadcasters is you want to be on TV. And, uh, and MRN understands that, uh, you know, this is kind of my shot. So when I get my NBC schedule, I just, I tell them every year, I'm like, listen, like I got to do these NBC races and they build MRN builds my schedule around that. So I'm so appreciative of that because they could very easily say, no, you know, they could very easily say, no, this is the schedule. We need you to work these races, figure it out. And they don't, you know, they, they work with me on that and, um, you know, they want what's best for me too. And, and that's part of what, what makes me, you know, love working with MRN that much more. And, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm so loyal to them because they're the ones that gave me my first shot. And, um, you know, I'd love to work with MRN for as long as I can be just because I enjoy it so much. And, um, but it's just kind of one of those things where, uh, you know, they, they, they work together and, and, our bosses, you know, a good thing is our bosses at both, uh, you know, both networks have a good working relationship. And uh, there's been times where they've had to compromise, you know, I'm needed at, a, at an MRN race, you know, a place like Road America, for example, where we have, I think, 14 on-air talent because the racetrack is so big. Um, that's been a, you know, a, a kind of blemish on the schedule the last couple of years because NBC's wanted me to work that for them, but MRN literally needs me because they don't have enough people to work that race. Uh, so I, I always get pulled to MRN, but it's one of those things where 
NBC lets me have that one. And then they put me on another race that maybe I was scheduled for on, on MRN. So they work together and, and, you know, kind of coexist peacefully, which is, is great. And, uh, makes it makes it a lot less stressful for me that, that both sides uh, are understanding and, and willing to work with each other. Dylan, you're a part of a very exclusive group that can say this. You've worked a race with your father. That's an achievement in itself. But to say it was one of the spectacles of racing with the Indianapolis 500, what was that experience like? And what was your family's reaction to all this? Getting to, to work that event, you know, really getting to work any event that, that my dad has worked for me is, is awesome. And especially an event like the 500, you know, growing up in Indy as a race car driver, that was always the race I wanted to race in. But then as a broadcaster, um, that became, you know, the race that you want to broadcast. So um, it, it was amazing, you know, last year to get to be part of the month of May coverage uh, with NBC and, and even on race day, it was like, you know, watching, all these people come into our TV compound, like Mike Tirico and, and, and Danica and, and, you know, even Dale jr. I mean, he's, you know, I get to work with him on the NASCAR side, but he was just in so much awe of the Indy 500 as an event. And uh, you know, to be, so to be a part of that team was really special for me. And, and I mean, getting, you know, getting to work with my dad is something, you know, I was actually talking to somebody about this the other day on another podcast too, that uh, it's something that, you know, I think, he and I both treasure so much and, and, and especially so now that I'm living in North Carolina, because that's when we get to see each other. You know, when I was living at home, obviously we, you know, we saw each other every day, but now it's like, that's when we, we get to see each other and, and catch up in person. So we, uh, we value, you know, the fact that we get to work together and we get to work at the same place. And even though it's not for the same network, most weekends, um, you know, we're still covering the same stuff. We're still, inhabiting the same workspace and you know see each other often so uh it's a it's a unique opportunity and um i'm just glad that you know him and i are the ones that are are getting to experience it because it's something that we really appreciate how big of an influence has your dad been in terms of you know being like a mentor for you yeah he's been huge um and really in in a lot of ways probably that people don't think he would necessarily be an influence in like, you know, like obviously having him as a fellow broadcaster um, has been extremely helpful for me from a broadcasting standpoint, as far as honing my craft and, you know, how to ask questions, how to, you know, do, you know, do things on TV. Uh, Cause I still don't have that much experience doing things on TV. So he has that experience, obviously, you know, he's got, 30 years experience on me in that regard. So having him, having him there in that aspect has been huge. Um, but he's been, he's been helpful and probably more helpful in, in so many other ways. I mean, just about uh, relationships and, and uh, how to, you know, build relationships one, but then how to keep those relationships too. I mean, and, and that goes from, uh, you know, the broadcast industry to, uh, racing, you know, when I race and, and meeting people and meeting potential sponsors and, and that sort of thing. He's really, really good at that about, uh, you know, just being able to talk to people and, and be genuine and, and, uh, you know, be interested in, in them and what they have to say. And, uh, and that's super obviously important in our industry, um, is just being able to, to be conversational and, and have a conversation with people and, and then, 
you know, nurture that relationship and, and not that you're trying to get anything out of it, but uh, this whole industry, this whole sport is, is based on relationships and he's really good at that. He's really good at understanding that dynamic. And uh, that's one of the things that he, he constantly works on me, you know, still even, even to this day is, um, you know, just, you know, always, you know, not necessarily trying to take advantage of any relationship, but, you know, thinking long-term about, um, you know, the value of, of, you know, knowing and meeting and staying in contact with certain people. So he's, uh, he's helped me in a ton of ways. Uh, and then obviously, you know, just as a dad too, in, in life, he's, he's been, uh, he's been invaluable and has been a huge help. So, uh, glad to have him as a dad for sure. He's, he's, uh, it's always nice to have somebody like that in your corner. Dylan, you mentioned earlier that you will occasionally uh, head back midget racing. You've participated in the Chili Bowl before. How does an event like that, because the the Chili Bowl, for those who are unaware, it's a prestigious event in the world of midget racing. How do you end up getting into that race, and how often? Yeah, do you run I've run out? it. Uh, I've run it every year since 2013, um, and it, it really is. It's it's hard to explain to, to people that may not be familiar with with midget racing or dirt track racing. But um, for me, it is it is as every bit uh, of a spectacle and big event as the Daytona 500 or the Indy 500. And, and I and I say that with 100 percent seriousness because the intensity level and the competition uh, and the pride that comes with, you know, winning or, or even running well in that race uh, it's hard to, hard to match. And um, it's 350 cars entered every single year and you race all week. Uh, They divide the field up into preliminary nights starting on Monday and going through Friday, you race one of those nights and how you finish seeds you, for saturday where they start with i don't know like an s main at 9 a.m on saturday morning and race all the way up the alphabet to the a main on saturday night you know it's 24 cars in the final race on saturday night that they've you know broken down from 350 to start the the week on monday so it's it's the it is the premier midget race in the country one of the premier dirt races in the country and uh, it's, it's guys from every walk of life, you know, in the sport, you know, you've got late model guys, you've got NASCAR guys. We had a couple IndyCar guys compete in it this year, plus the full-time dirt guys that, you know, race a hundred times a year. So, uh, if you can go there and, and be competitive and, and, you know, race well, it's saying something about, you know, your ability and, and, and who you are as a race car driver. And, um, it's just such a fun week, you know, it's in the middle of winter, so nothing's going on, you know, in the racing world, all the eyes are on that event. Uh, everybody in the industry is there and, uh, it's just so much fun. It's, it's super competitive, super high intensity, but, um, you know, it's one of those races for me that if I only, if I only ran one race a year, it'd be the chili bowl. Dylan, we're going to do the final lap segment. And this is basically where I'm just going to dish you out a couple of this or that style questions and just give me the first answer that pops into your head. Cool. You get to go on a free vacation to any country in the world. Where are you going? I would go somewhere in Europe. Um, my family is German, so I would maybe want to go to Germany just to, to kind of go there. But, but really anywhere in Europe, um, I, I've always wanted to, to travel there. So I'd probably be happy with about anywhere. What's one food that you can eat for the rest of your life every day? 
Macaroni and cheese, hands down. Are you an easy mac guy? Uh, yeah. I mean, I will. I'll eat any mac and cheese, honestly. Uh, easy mac. I mean, you know, homemade or what, whatever. I just I like it all. So, I, but I could literally every day. Do you have a, a particular restaurant? Um, no, not really. Um. I tell you what, Outback's mac and cheese was always really good. I don't mm. even know if they still sell that, but uh, it was always really good. Um, but I mean, really anywhere, like anywhere that sells, you know, a good mac and cheese, uh, I'm a fan. What's your favorite thing to do on your day off? Uh, well, it's actually funny. I've uh, I've discovered in this quarantine that the thing that I probably have missed the most is going to the gym. Um, okay. and I, and I always, you know, enjoyed that. Um, but never thought that I would actually be like as annoyed as I am that I can't go. <laughs> so I would, I would honestly probably say, you know, going to the gym and, and lifting weights. What's your favorite movie of all time? Blazing Saddles, I think is probably got to take the cake. Blazing. I've never heard of that movie before. What's that about? Oh man. <laughs> uh, it's a, it's an old movie from the seventies. Um, and it's basically just about these cowboys and it's a, it's a comedy. It's very raunchy, uh, would in no way, shape or form be, uh, able to be produced today because of our, uh, of the culture that we live in today. But it's, uh, if you want to laugh, I would, I would recommend watching blazing saddles because it is one of a kind, a lifetime supply of Jack Daniels or a chili bowl win. Oh, uh, I got to go Chili Bowl win, although I do like Jack Daniels, but I, I got I to go Chili Bowl win. That, uh, that would be a lifetime uh, achievement. I mean, that would, you know, that, would, that would top everything and anything that I'll probably ever do from here on out. So I got to go, go Chili Bowl win. What's your go-to karaoke song? I've got a few. Um, I love singing like uh, Neon Moon by Brooks and Dunn. Uh, when I was in college, I always used to sing, uh, God bless the USA for whatever reason. That was always, <laughs> that was always a fun one, uh, that, you know, got the whole, the whole bar going, uh, but neon moon Brooks and Dunn probably is, probably is my, my favorite to sing. What was your favorite cartoon as a kid? I was a big Nickelodeon guy. So probably, honestly, probably SpongeBob. I was a big SpongeBob guy. Would you rather go on a Disney vacation or an Island getaway? Uh, probably Island getaway. Although I do like Disney. What's the best piece of advice you've ever gotten? Oh, that's tough. Um, I like, my dad told me one time, he said, faith, not fear. And I think it was a quote he heard from somebody else. But uh, I like that one because, you know, it's kind of about, uh, you know, putting trust in yourself and, you know, your abilities and yourself as a person and, and, you know, being able to make the most of the opportunity that you get or, or whatever the situation is that you're facing. And as opposed to being, you know, scared about what could possibly happen, you're, you know, you're confident in yourself that, uh, you know, you can get the job done, whatever it is. So I like that one and try to, you know, try to you know, always think about that each day and, and kind of live that way. Hey, thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Under the Hood podcast. If you enjoyed this week's episode, consider subscribing and following the podcast on your favorite platforms.